The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Good afternoon. Um, I was just chatting with a friend then saying how I don't know quite why I agreed to do this topic, really. Um, but it's important. Now, you've got an outline there. Just to start off with, you'll know one of the Ten Commandments that the prophet Moses brings down from Mount Sinai is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour. And I'm conscious in speaking about my neighbour, my Islamic neighbours, some of whom uh, I count as uh, good and dear friends, uh, that I'm just out of love for neighbour and because of the command of God, I need to be very careful of bearing false witness. I have little doubt that although I don't think I am bearing false witness, some of you may feel at the end or during it that I have. And that's why it's important that we have time for questions. I know what it's like to listen to other people try to explain your own belief system and hear it completely falsely done. At the same time, I've had a number of discussions with uh, Muslim friends in my home where I've said something about Islam and they've said, that's not true. Um, Let me give you a specific example. I've had this conversation at least twice where I've said that the Quran clearly says that Jesus Christ was not put to death. They say, rubbish. I say, no, it does. In Surah 4, they say, look, I'm a Muslim. I would know. I said, well, let's have a look at Surah 4. And it very clearly says that Jesus was not put to death. But these people were Muslim, and yet, so it's awkward. And there are times when other people refer me to parts of the Gospels that I'd forgotten, and it's right to be corrected and learned from anywhere. So that, I'm, about, I'm going to say something that you may not uh, agree with or you may not have heard, does not necessarily mean it's false. I've spent probably 15 or so years deliberately, consciously trying to understand Islam. Um, my own understanding of uh, what you do when you try to understand another worldview, which is much, much harder than people think, which is why a lot of the idea of the modern religious education that doesn't school, you know, a month on Buddhism, a month on Hinduism, as if that's an education. It's so far from an education in terms of really understanding uh, other people. I don't think you've really understood another position until you feel its attractiveness. Until you go, yeah, I get why people embrace this. I get why this makes sense for people of various parts of their life. That's where I've been trying to go with Islam. I think I've... Uh, anyway, that, that's my attempt. One of the difficulties in trying to understand Islam that although the central, as it were, pillar belief is fairly simple, that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet... That's a very simple, essential creed, as it were. Islam, as I've been trying to understand it, talking with Shiite friends, mostly Sunni friends, reading all sorts of things, uh, reading most recently this um, biography by a Sufi Muslim on Muhammad. I was recently looking at an Islamic site. It was the second most recommended life of Muhammad. Uh, And particularly, it was uh, was praised in this, because although it wasn't as... uh, well written as the first book they suggested this was the one that was based on the earlier sources and I found this an interesting a very interesting book to read and a helpful book and a beautiful book I thought but Islam itself is 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 a simple fundamental belief but is a deeply complex 
system to approach. And it feels often that no matter how you approach it, you're going to be told you haven't understood it. So if you haven't read the Quran, you're dismissed. If you haven't read the Quran, if you then make a comment from the Quran, uh, even if it's one that I was given at a mosque, I dropped into to clarify some of my points of view and it was um, made by Muslims and had a whole lot of Islamic comments in the back, etc. Even, even when I read that one, if I, if I bring up something that the Muslim I talked to doesn't like, he simply said, well, you can't, read, you can't read Arabic so your view is worthless. I said, well, then don't print them. Don't hand out Qurans and then say but unless you can read the 7th century Arabic, and and frankly, I've only met about one Muslim personally that I've asked who can actually read and understand the Quran. A number of them read it but can't understand it. They read it like I might read perhaps ancient German or something like that because of the beauty of it in the sense that it pleases God if I do it, but they can't read it. Modern Arabic speakers can't understand the Quran. The language has moved. And so it's, it's quite difficult, and then... Islam, like any ancient um, set of beliefs, has got very strong differences within the camp. Very strong. Much more than your Sunni, Shiite and Sufi, which is the way that most Westerners would understand it. Um, Much more complicated than that. And many of the things that that the groups differ on have, in even recent history and frankly even in the last few weeks, uh, Muslim has killed fellow Muslim because of the falseness of some of their belief, uh, both in Tunisia and in Pakistan. Um, so it's, it's difficult. I'm also aware of the danger of stereotypes. And there are two sorts of stereotypes. One is, the, is just um, Islamophobia, as it's called sometimes. Xenophobia, it's just fear of the different. Uh, you know, the, the, the sort of dialogue that gets put that, you know, Australians have always had trouble with immigrant communities. We had troubles with the Italians back in the 40s and 50s, and then we had trouble with the Vietnamese in the sort of 70s and 80s, and now we've got trouble with our Middle Eastern neighbours, and we'll all get over it. And it's just a form of, you know, and they're, they're kind of, there's, there's nothing to worry about here. And they, they may well be right. I hope that's right. There are two sorts of stereotypes. One is where you vilify a group. And I've sat at a dinner party recently where, where one of my friends has been reading quite a bit of Islamic writing and quite a bit of writing about Islamic culture was saying things about Islam that I thought were kind of true but overstated. But the fundamental view of my semi-educated, they, they think of themselves as highly educated, you know, modern Australian, Chardonnay drinking, all that sort of stuff, you know, left-leaning friends, is that Islam is fine. Uh, the only problem with Islam is the bigotry of non-Muslims. And, and the, when you see you know, edges of violence in Islam, they'll say, but that's true of every religion. And here's the one they normally go to. The Oklahoma bomber was a Christian. That's just factually rubbish. And this is the sort of thing that gets said. They ought to make us ask questions. If, When people jump, say, there is a problem. There's quite clearly a problem. Some of my Islamic friends are concerned about the problem of Islamic violence. There's much more Muslims killing Muslims than there are Muslims killing non-Muslims in terms of just the sheer statistics. But to say there's no problem with violence in Islam because Christians kill too, and you say, like, when? The two things people go to, and I've heard an Islamic debate do this on television, to his shame, he said the Oklahoma bomber was a Christian. The Oklahoma bomber comes out in the, on the week before he was put to death for that horrible crime he did, saying, I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure if there is a God. And yet he's constantly said to be by both my atheist friends 
and some Islamic speakers. He's just not. He's a European. Well, he's an American. You know, he's, he's a white fella. Um, and there's this tendency to say, well, the, you know, the, the problem is not Islam. The problem is that there's fanaticism in all camps. Now, that may be true, and I think that is true often. But it may be deeper than that. We've got to be willing to look at the, the heart of what's there with honesty, not with stereotype negative or stereotype whitewash. Both those things are unhelpful. Let me just draw one thing before we look at the question of sources. One of the common things that's said, it's been said by uh, an academic at Sydney University, this is when I began to do some study on it, uh, and have found it to be completely false. Some Muslims say it. I've read a few articles preparing for this week where Muslims will say, Islam comes from the same root as the word salam, which means peace. Therefore, the, the, the word Islam means peace. Now, that some people who say that are liars. Other people who say that have just been misled. It is true they come from the same root in Arabic, and SLM, to anglifize the, the Arabic letters, SLM. Now, what, what, you, what you do in Arabic, which it works quite differently to, um, say, English or these sort of languages, you have, we have roots in every language, and you do things to the root. You can, so in English, you can have a word like loving and a word like unloving. Same root, substantially different meaning, would you not say? So to say, well, you know, to say to someone, it's the same root, doesn't actually tell you much. So with, um, I think I've got some down there for you, some examples of the, where that can go. I mean, Islam means submission. Muslim means one who submits. That's, a, that's, that's known. In the last 20 years, when there's been this attempt to protect Islam from being viciously attacked by haters or from being misunderstood by others, there's been this game to play, well, look, it comes from the same root as Salam, it actually means peace. Uh, that's just not true. Let me give you a similar example from the same root. If you just put a single extra vowel, if we use an English form, and you, instead of Salam, you have Salama, it means the stinging of a snake or the tanning of leather. And that's just helpful, I think, to realise that to say it's got exactly the same root and it does does not in any way mean in Arabic that it means similarly or almost the same thing. That's just, as I say, some people who write that should be ashamed of themselves because they're liars. Other people, particularly the guy from Sydney Uni, should be ashamed of himself for just drinking in propaganda and then writing it in the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, Almost all of the letters that Muhammad sent to neighbouring kingdoms and emperors urging them to submit to Islam, he finishes with those two words you can see there, aslim taslam, which basically means submit or die. You can see they're both from the same root. So I think we just need to be careful of simplistic, therefore, you know, sounds the same, therefore means the same. It simply doesn't. Islam means submit. Muslim is one who submits. No lazy stereotypes. Let's look at sources in two different ways I want to speak about. We could spend a lot of time, although we know nothing about history except what we've seen on the History Channel normally, um, which must be true because we've seen it, or because we've read it numerous times in the Sydney Morning Herald, talking about how bad Christians have been, how bad Muslims have been. That's not the issue here, I don't think. The different, I, I want to do something which is more important. For example, I grew up at Rose Bay, and the, the little girl next door was trying to learn the violin. She murdered Beethoven. Absolutely. In fact, 
I wasn't a Christian, so I wasn't working on my patience, but I just thought in terms of good neighbourly, good not to shout in the middle of my shower at the poor little girl next door who's probably a violin hero now. But I tell you, it was flippin' gruesome back then. If I heard her playing Beethoven, and I think I did, and then decided, that Beethoven is such a jerk... Or if I heard her play Beethoven and then perhaps Mendelssohn and said, they're exactly the same, they're all horrible. Or perhaps if my hearing was out of it, they're all the same and they're all gorgeous. At some stage, you've got to go back to the composer and the score and look at what's actually written and what's done. And at some stage to compare Beethoven at his best with Mendelssohn at his best, if you like. I don't know how you contrast those two guys but they, you, so I'm suggesting at some stage we need to get behind a whole lot of second hand opinions about who was the nastiest in history and go back to the original score uh, that is to Jesus and or to Muhammad and uh, that, that I think is crucial to do at some stage I'm not frankly all that much interested in playing a game although I think Christians can do very well in this game if it's an informed game on who's been the most horrible in history Who's brought the most blessing in history, particularly to those who aren't members of their religion, which I think is Christianity's strong point? Um, most of our charities are set up for non-Christians. Most religions set up charities for people of their own tribe. It's a Jesus thing who basically says, you love your friends, will bully for you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray. That's the distinctive Jesus thing. So I think we want to go back to the source and look at the whether or not Muhammad himself is a man of peace, can, can fairly be described that or not, or whether or not he's got a mixed message on peace. Secondly, let's, the question of sources. Now, this is a thing which it took me some years to work out. I always thought you had a discussion between the New Testament and the Quran. That is completely false. If you think that's the comparison, you haven't understood them at all. If you want to get to the source of Christianity without playing, without asking questions of, were the Gospels accurately written, etc., which I, is part of what I got persuaded of before I became a Christian. But you just they are the Christian writings on Jesus, okay? Just accept them as that. Now, when I became a Christian, when I was in the process of becoming, I was just given the New Testament. Read it. You cannot do that with the Quran. If you do that, you will without a doubt misunderstand it. And any Muslim who half understands their faith will know that. The Quran does not sit on its own. It is not self-interpreting. It doesn't have its own story within it. So what's in Surah 2 is not the second lot of stuff that Muhammad said. It's just the second longest Surah. Which is the last bit of the Quran revealed by, or either by God to Muhammad or by Muhammad to his friends, however you take it. Which is the last bit written? Is it Surah 110? No. It's Surah 9. Why is Surah 9 in, at, Surah, at point 9 and not at point 100 and something? Because it's the ninth longest. Now, where do you find that? Inf- where do you find out the context of Surah 9? Context is so important. Right? You find that in the Hadiths and the lives of the Prophet. Um, Al-Sirah, or something, as a word, I'm not very good with, this, with Arabic. I'm, I'm, an, I'm hard enough with English, frankly. So, it's... You re- there's a constant debate, fierce academic debate, between the various different sects of Islam about where in the life of Muhammad these surahs sit. 
Therefore, what is the context that may make us enable us to understand that? That is simply not the case with the Gospels. The context of Jesus' statements are all there in the story. It's a story. It's got a very clear arc. So the statements of Jesus, are the context is clear. Just go back and read it. It is much more complex to understand the Quran because you cannot understand it without understanding the, the biography of Muhammad, the life of Muhammad, and the hadiths, which are gatherings of tens of thousands of sayings gathered hundreds of years after Muhammad's life. Um, Bukhari is one of the most famous. A Muslim is the, other, is the other most commonly referred to ones, at least by the guys I talk with. Now, they selected out of... They, they left out twice as many, if not more, than the ones they collected. These are sayings of the Prophet. Right? And then Muslims argue about how authentic some of these sayings are. And a lot of the difference between Shiites and, and Sunnis will be to do with how much weight their scholars give to the various hadiths or the sayings. The, the life of the prophet, the earliest one was put together by a man about 100 years after Muhammad's life. And this is just this is what Muslims say. There's no debate about this. We do not have it. We have most of it uh, in, a, in a redoing of it done about 50 years later by a man who says quite clearly that he left things out of the life of Muhammad because they were too disturbing to many good Muslims. And we don't know exactly what he left out. Uh, frankly, I, I encourage Muslims I know to get their hands on a copy and read it because the, the deepest and the best scholars and many people, many local imams and that will not be scholars. They will have never read the book itself. I rang up the largest Islamic bookstore in Sydney last year and said, look, I want to get my hands on the earliest biography of the prophet. They said, no, why don't you read this one? I said, no, 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 I want the earliest one, not someone where Muhammad is dressed up in clothes that Westerners will like him, which is what tends to happen with the biographies. And this is one of the things I read about and have discovered to be true. If you ask Christians about Jesus, they'll say, read the earliest source. We can argue about how accurate the Gospels are. There's been a lot of dust thrown up in those in the last hundred years. But they're the earliest we got. Muslims, I have never, ever found do that. I've read that they don't. I've looked at a few sites again today. They just, they don't even refer to it. In fact, one guy said to me, there is no English translation of it. I said, seriously? He said, no, there is. I said, I'm pretty sure there is. And I found it, it you can get it on the net for nothing. Um, but if you read that, I'm going to give you some references from it a little later. And we need to work out, I think, is Muhammad himself a great man of peace. I'm not asking, do lovely Muslim people say he's a great man of peace? Have they been taught that by their teachers who are taught that by their teachers? But if you look at the Hadiths and the Quran and the life of the Prophet, would we describe him as a great man of peace? And I want to suggest to you this is where the problem in Islam comes. I, I've had one overseas trip without a doubt the loveliest few days I had with my daughter was in Jordan, a thoroughly Islamic country. There's a small bunch of Christians there. I love it. In fact, I think if ever I buy a house in Sydney, I've told my wife this, if ever we buy a house in Sydney, if we should suddenly win the lottery and it becomes, you know, possible, we're going to buy it out in the Bankstown, Lakemba area. I love Arab people. Now, I know most Muslims are not Arabs now. Okay, that's something you mightn't know. The greater bulk of Muslims now are not Arabs, but it's a deeply Arabic religion. It's a deeply Arab religion. You know, the Quran sits in heaven, written in Arabic, according to Muslims. Uh, Mecca was the centre of the earth. That's where Adam and Eve were thrown when they fell out of the garden. I mean, it really is the axis between... It's a deeply Arab-centred religion. But 
So I, I love Arab culture, both its Christian form, its Zoroastrian form, and its um, Islamic form. But I have, I have a problem with the mixed messages we get from Muhammad. Now, I, know, I don't even want to say that because with my Islamic friends, if I speak badly of Muhammad, that's almost the end of my friendship. Um, and so I don't want to do too much of that. You can read some of this stuff. The Quran, chapter 9, the final, the one unabrogated section of the Quran, the one part that doesn't get uh, healed by things that come after it, is a very strong call to fight. It's Muhammad's last sermon. Now, depending on what sort of a Muslim you are, you'll put that in a context. If you're a peaceable sort of Muslim, you'll, you'll tend to want to say, well, that's... That was only to a group of people who'd been nasty and betraying. Um, that's by no means the majority view of Islamic scholars on Surah 9. But that's where some of the most frightening statements come from. And it is his last, it's his last statement. There is within Islam a very clear doctrine of what's called abrogation. Later words from Muhammad abrogate the earlier. So perhaps the most famous the, the statement from the Quran that I most often hear quoted to Westerners and by Westerners is, anyone want to have a guess what it is? From Surah 2, and one, one of the earlier surahs, it is, there is no compulsion in religion. Right? That gets said again and again and again. Now, many Islamic scholars would suggest that's been abrogated, that is taken to one side and overpassed by over a hundred later statements by the Prophet. So it really is not binding in the way that, say, Surah 9 is. Let me take you to the Hadiths, the statement of the Prophet. You've got it there. I won't read them out, all of them. Well, it might be helpful. From uh, Bukhari, uh, Allah's Prophet says, I've been ordered by Allah to fight against the people until they testify that none has the right to be worshipped but Allah and that Muhammad is Allah's apostle. This is not the word... Um, this, is, this is a word for warfare, the word fighting. Um, What's the word I'm looking for, friends? The word, the word that gets often used... Um, I've got it here somewhere. Oh, sorry, jihad. Blank spot. Old man, sorry. Need more sleep. Jihad doesn't mean fight. There are other words in Islam for fight and warfare. It means, just, it means to struggle. It can mean fight. But uh, everywhere where you would read the word fight or war in the Quran or Islamic writings doesn't mean it's jihad at all. Here's from the earliest biography. This may surprise you. This is the earliest... The, the, it, it has almost the place of the Gospels in Islamic right? You can't think as a Muslim. You can't think about the Quran without taking this biography seriously. There's a very famous war between Muhammad and uh, a group of Jews. In, in the end, the Jews were completely wiped out. And modern Muslims will often refer to this incident. Uh, in some uh, interchanges in the last few years, people have said, remember Kaabar, because uh, it's, it's, the, it's the Prophet's model. He captures this guy, Kinana, who's a, the treasurer for this group of Jews, and Muhammad is reported in the Islamic, in the earliest Islamic biography we have. Torture him until you extract what he has. So he kindled a fire with flint and the steel on his chest until he was nearly dead. After they tortured him, according, according to the Islamic biographies, and then he was killed, Muhammad then married his wife that night. Now, some people would suggest would ask questions about how freely she entered into that relationship. She walked past her dead dad and her dead husband, murdered at Muhammad's orders. Muhammad chided the men who brought her past them for being insensitive. But nonetheless, 
she was married and in his bed that night. That's from the earliest. This is not Christian propaganda, friends. This is, this is the best Islamic biography. Abu Bakr, who is Muhammad's right-hand man, takes over after Muhammad dies. Again, in the same Islamic authorized biography, says, you asked me for the best advice that I could give you, and I'll tell you, God sent Muhammad with this religion, and he strove for it until men accepted it voluntarily or by force. There are numerous statements like that in the earliest Islamic writings. I said to a friend who I had a debate with, a public debate, and we'd become good friends. I said, you know, it says, I said, what happens in this debate if I actually convince you, or if you convince me? He said, well, what happens if I convince you? I said, I'll become a Muslim. I said, it's, it's harder for you, isn't it? He said, yes. I said, I said, tell me more what will happen. Because apostasy all the way through the Quran to cease being a Muslim is crystal clear in any tradition of Islam is a, you must be put to death. Must be. There's no doubt about that in the Quran or the Hadiths. If I, be, if I stop being a Christian, no one's going to kill me. I'm not under any threat. Um, so I said to Mustafa, Mustafa, if that's true, why do you keep quoting that statement from Surah 2 that there is no compulsion religion? That sounds like compulsion to me. He said, oh, well, there's no compulsion into it. But once you're in, you can't leave. Right? I'm, he thinks that's a sign of the strength of Islam. I think it's a sign of its fragility. If you won't let people leave, what are we frightened of? But we can talk about that in question time. I do need to move on. The wars of Al-Radar are the wars that happened straight after... Um, straight, straight after Muhammad died, almost the entire Arab Peninsula rose up in rebellion. They didn't want to be Muslims anymore, which may indicate to you, since they were almost entirely conquered after battles, the voluntariness of it. Abu Bakr led a brilliant military campaign and subdued them quickly, um, and many of them were put to death because they simply are not allowed to leave. Uh, and Abu Bakr, there's a number of stories in the Hadiths of Al. Muhammad and Abu Bakr coming back and having their clothes washed by some of Muhammad's wives and daughters and their swords cleaned. I want to suggest to you, friends, the problem on the question, my own feeling about Muslims is I love being with my Muslim friends. Uh, I don't know how much of it's because they're Muslim or how much it's just Arab culture. The Muslims that I know are Arabs. Um, I have nothing, no problem at all with, with, with Muslim people. My problem is at the DNA of the thing. And in the end, Islam will keep reverting to Muhammad. It's supposed to. In the same way as Christianity will keep reverting to Jesus, it's supposed to. A Muslim who doesn't follow the example of Muhammad is not really a Muslim. A Muslim who doesn't take the Hadith seriously is not really a Muslim. Anyone that, someone who says they're Christian but corrects Jesus is in all sorts of trouble. There's a series of quotes there. I'm going to finish in a second. Um, quotes there from Jesus, all indicative of the fact that both in his life and teaching he was radically and totally different to Muhammad in his view on to the, the validity of the use of the sword and the validity of government. From all four Gospels, Mark 12 is where Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. There is no way Muhammad would ever make that statement. He, Jesus separates the validity of government from the question of God and religion. Now, they, they interplay, but there is a valid place for secular government according to Jesus. There is no place for that in classical Islamic thinking. John 19, actually John 18, sorry, my mistake. John 18, Jesus speaking to Pilate says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight for me. 
Jesus is on trial for his life. He knows he's going to be dead in a day. He says, my disciples are not fighting for me. Now, that is simply not true of the companions of the prophet. They were heroic warriors, and Muhammad was a great leader. And compared to his time, he was a fairly moderate um, victor when he beat you. There There were lots of deaths, there were lots of executions, and lots of assassinations, according to the Islamic biographies. So don't, 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 you don't have to believe me for this. Just go and get it from the net. Matthew 26, where Jesus' friends actually pull out a sword, a knife, in order to defend Jesus when he's arrested. And Jesus says, put that away. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Do you not know I could call on my father? He would send 50, 70, lots of legions of angels. Right. He's not interested in being defended by the sword. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Luke 6 is the classic Jesus teaching. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So what if you love your friends, Jesus says in Luke 6 and Matthew 5. The worst sinners in the world love their friends. But be like your Father in heaven, who is kind to the cruel and the heartless and the ungrateful. That is the distinctive. So the only thing a Christian can do to their enemies is love them. That is not the only thing Christians have done, is it? Right? Uh, it is one of the hardest teachings you're going to find anywhere in the world. I've suggested you might like to look up down the bottom there on YouTube. Just type in the, the name Son of Hamas. I did it again this morning. This is the son of the, one of the two founding fathers of Hamas that did not begin as a terrorist organization at all, if that's what it is now. It began as a beautiful organization to help poor Palestinians, but it got radicalized. He became a Christian. Um, He writes of this. Uh, One of the reasons was that when he got closer and closer to Islam, he thought this is violent and it's violent at its roots. Many Muslims aren't, but at the root and heart of Islamic history and of the life of Muhammad is the legitimate use of the sword. Islam did not conquer the whole of North Africa, which is where Christianity was at its strongest in about 50 years by dialogue. You cannot argue they are walls of self-defence, although that's what all empires do. You know, Rome, Rome argued, the ancient civil, Rome argued it never fought a single war of aggression. How do you get from being a little city in Rome to controlling them all the way to the edge of India, all the way up to Scotland, all the way to Spain, the whole of North Africa, and say, it was just self-defence. No one's going to believe that unless it's convenient. But the son of Hamas, what, what struck him was when he first heard the words of Jesus, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who mistreat you. And he realized he had not heard anything like that, although his father was an Islamic cleric. And he realized that, that is the help and hope and the healing of the world, that teaching. But still, you can look him up on the net and it's moderately accurate. I should shut up. Gone too long, although far too short. Any questions? Yeah. The question, in case you, you're hearing, is nearly as bad as mine, is modern Australian men and women, why, why are they attracted to Islam? Um, there are two main reasons in my experience. Interesting, I was reading a Jewish philosopher from Baghdad who wrote in the 13th century um, Christian time, so what's that about the 6th century in Islamic uh, timing? He wrote, 
that he thought um, people only became Muslims through fear, through falling in love with Islamic women, and to avoid paying the, the tax. Because when Islam conquers an area, you are allowed... If you're, not, if, you're not, if you're a Hindu, you're in all sorts of trouble. If you believe in many gods, in trouble. But if you believe in one god as Christians and Jews, you can, you can maintain your religion. You have to pay a fairly painful tax and put up with regular ritual humiliation. Um, but he said, so power is one thing. The two things I've seen is people whose life is in complete chaos, uh, utterly self-centred, drunkard Australians, who begin and they run into Islam where you have this voice, of, a very strong voice, ordering and disciplining your life. There are sometimes people run to that because it, it, it heals a certain madness in their life. Um, that, that's for, for some, I think it's that the very strong authoritative voice that you get in Islam. And a very clear, this is what it means to be a religion. Christianity is not as clearly directive. I've had Islamic friends say the problem with Christianity is it, it, it leaves so much open to question. I said, yeah, that's right which is why it's so infinitely flexible. It just says, love God first, love your neighbour, here are a few guidelines. It doesn't need to control anything, Christianity. In fact, it's always at its healthiest when it's in the minority. Um, the other thing is, most people I've met, it's, they fall in love with someone. In the same way as why, do lots of, why in the old days did Protestants become Catholics and Catholics become Protestants? Normally they fell in love, and frankly they weren't very religious. And if I've got this person I'm in love with, and I've got to say some words, sure. Um, that's here's something which I'm not aware of. There, there are lots of high-ranking Muslims, and I can I can give you my email address and I can send you some of these. Lots of I mean, one was a Saudi, a member of the highest religious court in Saudi Arabia who became a Christian. I'm not aware of anyone at that level who was who knew who clearly knew Jesus and knew what Christianity was about who's become a Muslim. I'm not saying they're not out there. I'm sure they are, but it's not uncommon for people who are Muslim at the highest level to become Christians. And I've listened into discussions on, uh, from Al Jazeera and a few other places where Muslim leaders are very concerned at the vast number of people who are becoming Christians, uh, particularly from some people groups. Um, Iranians, we've had a couple at our church who've become, who were Muslims and have become Christians. I had a, at the last church I was at, we had a, an Iranian guy who became a Christian. Can't go back. He's got a property in the middle of uh, Tehran. Simply can't go back because uh, he... Even the government realises he'll be dead if he goes back. Um, it's mainly that. Strong authoritative voice and love. Any other queries? Yeah. Um, good question. The question was on what, you know, I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving a talk. What, what's the basis, you know, um, of my knowledge? I've, as I said in the beginning, if, if I had done a degree in Islamic studies, I would have mentioned it because that's a legitimate question. I have not. I've toyed with it. I've just simply not had time. My study is the study of someone who is deeply committed to know what is true, because of Jesus, deeply committed to not misrepresenting my neighbour, and I've read and I've read and I've read and I've dropped in at mosques and asked to speak to people to run ideas past them to see, have I understood this properly? I, um, I've had a number of public debates with various Muslims. I've gone to a number of dialogues run by, I went recently one in Bankstown, run by a large Islamic educational group who brought a guy out from India where a lot of the best debaters for Islam and is now coming out of the subcontinent um, and the best writers. Um, so I've been, it's been a, it's been that sort of knowledge. So 
I could have a degree and that would be more impressive. I'm not sure if it would mean... The thing I'd like to do is learn Arabic so I can read the Quran. But I'm 57 and it's unlikely that I will be able to master it. When I meet young guys... When I was at Sydney University, I used to have dialogues with some of the Islamic societies there. And some of them would do that thing which Muslims often do where they read, they say it in Arabic, then they, then they might translate it. And I go, hang on, hang on. How long have you been studying 7th century Arabic? Four years. I thought, well, I've, I've studied foreign languages and four years, unless you're immersed in it, may not be enough. I said, why on earth would I listen to you, your translation? Surely if you're going to translate it, do it properly. Do it as Christians have always done with the Bible from the first 50 years we were translating it. Because God is not particularly in love with Greek or Hebrew. I don't think he's any more in love with Arabic, frankly. Uh, he's the God of all the earth. Um, he comes in various cultures, but the languages can move. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm not a scholar at that level, but I've talked to scholars who sometimes seem to... Well, the guy who wrote about Islam, uh, meaning peace which is just nonsense. Uh, a lot of Arabic, I mean, Muslim Arabic nah, means submission. But you can have a degree, you can lecture in at Sydney University and still be fundamentally flawed. In case you couldn't hear, the, the ladies rightly queried the rather negative spin, I think you feel I've put on Islam, whereas, and many people, many Muslims do want to say, I think what I said was the scholars who say it, who use it, should be ashamed of themselves. I think your average punter who reads something in the Sydney Morning Hill or written by a professor from Sydney University, you should expect that to be right. You know, that, I, I, don't, I think I did draw a small distinction between scholars who quote that and your ordinary punter who believes it. There's no doubt, and I, I, I think I said this, but it's good to slow down and say it again. There's no doubt that, that millions of Muslim people want to live peaceably in their world, and they've been brought up to believe that Islam is a peaceful religion. And part of that is to do with the distinction that Quranic scholars make between, and it's in the notes but I didn't touch on it, between Mecca and Medina. That one of the first, as I, and I, this is where the first time I dropped into a mosque to check this out, because I was reading a Christian who was studying Islam, I thought, I'm just aware how easy it is to mi misrepresent other people, and I, am, I try to keep that in the forefront of my mind. And basically the Mecca texts are when Muhammad in the first 10 years or so is in Mecca and he is in the decided minority, although, according to this man, Martin Ling, the first person killed over Islam was a non-Muslim, killed by a Muslim, which I'd never heard till I read this. The group of um, Meccan polytheists were mocking the Muslims for the way they prayed and it turned into a fight and this guy picked up a bone and killed a man. So Ling just says in passing, and so the first blood shed in the name of Islam was done. So that was back in the Mecca period. And... The Mecca texts are gentler. That's where there is no compulsion religion comes from. But then when Muhammad moves to Medina and is in charge, that is where all the really strident passages come from. And the, it, it sometimes feels like you're reading a, almost a different Quran. Western Muslims on the whole, unless they can read the Quran for themselves, when they go to the mosque or Islamic you know, prayer rooms, they'll only hear readings from the Meccan texts, the Meccan parts, which tend to be more peaceful. So when they see terrorists and they see various, you know, the Taliban doing things, they'll often feel quite understandable, this is not Islam. And what they're saying is it's not the part of Islam that I've seen. But the Taliban and those guys think one of two things. They either think that 
in Afghanistan, it's an Islamic country, therefore we're now in the Mecca situation, the, Mecca, the Medina situation. The Mecca texts are irrelevant now. We're not in the minority anymore. We're now in the Medina section. Or they think that simply by the law of abrogation, the Meccan texts are secondary. This is a, an internal debate that Muslims have been having for thousands of years, or a thousand and a half years. Um, I certainly think that the Muslims I've spent time with I would happily, I mean, I love being with them. They love life, they love each other, they love me. I'm not suggesting my complaint is not at all with Muslims. But I think I'm more concerned about the DNA of the show. And this is where I want to say to Muslims, and I, if, I haven't, if I haven't made it clear, I'm glad. Go for yourself and read the earliest. You can get it on the net, an English translation, uh, by a fine Oxford scholar. Um, and, and that's where the things about Muhammad torturing men and um, ordering the assassination of women who sang songs mocking him in Mecca uh, when, he, when he took over again. I mean, that, it's, these are not bits of Christian propaganda. These are in the absolute core of the Islamic self-witness. Self and I think people, we, we want to be informed and deal with the real Jesus and the real Muhammad, get over all our xenophobia, etc., and look at the person themselves, because I know my Muslim friends think that Muhammad is the most beautiful, the most noble, the most moral man that ever lived. I just think, the, and it's only because they, I think, because they've never read. I'm going to shut up in a second. The, until Osama bin Laden was killed, the man, the man with the second largest bounty on his head was an Egyptian Coptic priest called Father Zacharias, who in the end was imprisoned many times in Egypt Many of his friends and family were executed. He was eventually, and the Egyptians think it was one of the worst things they did, they, they exiled him. He's now hidden in America from where he makes a program where he simply has a, a man who's a convert from Islam asking set-up questions. Some come from viewers, and he simply answers it from the, um, from the Quran, from the Ibn Ishqa, um life of Muhammad, and from the uh, Hadiths. And he, I've watched him a few times when it's translated, and he keeps saying, look, dear Muslim, please don't be angry with me. I'm simply reading what is here in the text. And I want to say to, to whether people are Christian or Muslim, whatever, let's get back to the, the closest source we can so we're dealing with the reality, because these things really do matter. Um, but yeah, I, uh, and if I'm... My email address, by the way, if you wanted to ask any further questions or source some of the things that I didn't include where I just made generalised comments, is blackpowell at gmail.com and uh, I will get back to you eventually depending on what the week is like uh, if you want more factual stuff um, uh, thank you the recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum for more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks please visit citybibleforum.org